With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques Well, we seem to be having some uh, technical difficulties with the uh, launch of the uh, uh, the introduction. So I'm going to try that one more time. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success. And practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of the Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. Show. We wrap up our 2012 season. And only the way the case Sprinkle Grace can. The nonprofit coach radio show will then go on to our holiday hiatus. As uh, the announcer, this is a live call-in show, so you can call in at 347-324-3080. You also can join us over in the chat room, and I see a few folks over in the chat room. Uh, You can also email me your questions today at tedhart.com. 
As are on the nonprofit coach, we start the show with page one news. Over here on page one, uh, we have uh, uh, we've got a lot going on today over here in page one news. I do want to draw your attention. Follow along at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, and you will find the very best information from the internet over here on page one news today. Uh, this is from Twitter, uh, and a very nice fundraising uh, campaign that they have underway for the Red Cross. So this is Twitter. Red Cross. Guide Star Minute, Lindsay Nichols is here uh, to bring us a good word for Hi, Ted. I'm so sorry. You're a little bit garbled. I wasn't able to hear, but I think you just introduced me. So thank you so much for having me, and happy holidays to everyone. Ted, can you hear me? I'm going to apologize for being uh, a bit garbled. We're trying to deal with, I think, a couple of technical issues on this end. I can hear you. Okay, great. Okay. Why don't you get it? I'm going to try to fix our technical issues. Got it. So, uh, again, I'm excited to be on this last show um, of the Nonprofit Coach, so thanks for having me. It is an exciting time at GuideStar. It's the giving season where a lot of charities, um, you know, get most of their donations that they're going to use for the rest of the year. And we have a lot of resources for nonprofits and for donors. We actually have what we're calling our Giving Season Resource Center that I wanted to let people know about. We created a shortened link so people could find it easily, and that's just bit.ly at uh, slash giving season. So that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash giving season. And there you'll find tip sheets and uh, videos and all kinds of resources to help charities better fundraise this time of year, better connect with donors all year long. And for donors, we uh, give them some tips as well, how to find the, the high-performing nonprofits, the nonprofits that deserve their, their money, um, and, and really how to think about giving to charity this time of year. To that end, we actually have a video contest uh, that we're giving to nonprofits and donors alike. If someone creates a 15-second video about a cause they care about, their favorite charity, what the giving season means to them, really anything having to do with kind of this time of year and the holiday spirit, if they send that to us, we're going to pick three winners. The number one winner gets 15 hard copies of More Money for More Good. That's our new fundraising guidebook for nonprofits. They also get 30 minutes of consultation with Jacob Harold, our CEO, which to me, and any amount of time with him is really valuable. He's got a lot of insight into the nonprofit sector, and you could really, the sky's the limit in terms of what nonprofits could ask them. And uh, we'll have publicity for this nonprofit, et cetera. If it's a donor that creates this, they can gift that uh, prize to the charity of their choice. 
so we're really excited about it, and we think this really ties into this kind of exciting time of year. Um, so we have those two things, and the very last thing I was going to mention is we have a discount for a one-time discount for Financial Scan. It's a, a new product that really talks about the financial health of a nonprofit. Yeah, now and this so is for the exciting. month of so December take, take only. To, yeah, just take a minute to uh, fill us in on what this new product is and how it fits within the offerings for nonprofits. You bet. So Financial Scan is really going into what the financials mean for a nonprofit. So as opposed to just looking at overhead, which – you know, too often that's what donors were looking for, and that's what a lot of nonprofits were reporting. This takes 990 data from the IRS that we collect, and it really does an analysis to say what is the full picture of the finances? What revenue is coming in? What money do they have on hand? How does that look over time? What's the trend? It gives you a dashboard where all these different kind of reports and graphs live. So you can take them and you can walk into board meetings. You can talk about your financial picture. It talks about it in really concrete terms, and it also gives you a guide on how to think about these things. We know that a lot of nonprofits are savvy and they're already doing this kind of work, but a lot of them may not know what different metrics mean. So we do provide guides to say this is what this particular metric means. It's a really new and innovative tool. We worked with Nonprofit Finance Fund to create this product, um, it just launched this year, and we're really excited about it. But we also know that times are tough for nonprofits. We respect that. So we're giving annual uh, subscriptions at 20% off, which is a $500 savings, just through the month of September. And there's a discount code. And we're not pub uh, publicizing this online, so this really is just for your audience, Ted, and for select people that we're talking to. Oh, well, that's great. So what is what is the discount code? The discount code is, and it's a string of, of letters with numbers at the end. So it's F is in Frank, S is in Sam, Y is in Yes, R is in Rainbow, D E C as in December, 20, and then the percent symbol. So F S Y R D E C two zero percent sign. Terrific, terrific. Now, um, and that's available until when? That's until December 31st at midnight. Okay, terrific. Well, for all of our listeners, it's uh, definitely worth going to GuideStar uh, and checking that out. We do have a link over in the radio links at tedhart.com uh, for GuideStar uh, today. Exciting time for nonprofit organizations. Of course, we know that uh, the largest percentage of donations are typically made uh, in December. Um, so how does that affect the work of GuideStar in December? This is really our only time to talk to donors, Typically, we're talking to nonprofits all year long and to funders, but donors, we've done a lot of research, they don't do a ton of research before they give money, except for this time of year. This is the time where they are trying to be really smart about where their money's going. So this is our opportunity to connect those great nonprofits with the donors that really deserve to give them their money versus, you know, just the nonprofits that have the best fundraising machines. So it's an exciting time of year for us because we get a wider audience. That's great. Do you find that, uh, that that you find that you're advising uh, donors to be cautious of big fundraising machines and instead Absolutely. do research on? Um, yeah, how it's do, often that nonprofits, I think, or I'm sorry, donors really only recognize the fundraising machines, and that could be great. You know, that could be a, a great nonprofit behind that, but it could not be, and so that's not really the best way to do it. It really, and what we're trying to tell donors this time of year, it's just about taking a couple minutes being proactive with your giving and doing a little bit of research, just finding out 
that that they talk about their programs and finances, that they have, you know, measurable objectives, that they really are making an impact and that it's not just about they've put the most flyers in the mail. Yeah, that's great. Well, and uh, uh, the Guide Star Minute is uh, was new in 2012. We're looking forward to uh, great stuff uh, coming from Guide Star as we continue the Guide Star Minute into the new year. So this is my opportunity to wish all of our friends uh, over at Guide Star a wonderful holiday season and a terrific new year. And same to you, Ted. Thanks so much. Have a great break. You bet. You bet. Uh, so we're back here on uh, page one. That was Lindsay Nichols from uh, GuideStar with the GuideStar Minute. Uh, over here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach page one, I do want to draw your attention to an article that was posted uh, that I think is rather important and so important that uh, I'm going to uh, ask our page two expert um, during our chat today to uh, sort of give uh, her viewpoint. This was posted over in the Nonprofit Quarterly. Uh, Rick Cohen posted, I, I think, an important uh, uh, article on the nonprofit for profit distinction um, and really asking the question is that starting uh, to collapse? So, I want to draw your attention to the article. It's available over in the radio links today, and I want to just share with you uh, a little bit uh, that uh, uh, Rick has. Uh, written about here, and then we'll we'll discuss it uh, a little bit more here. Um, so he's responding to. He says that it's great to see Stephanie Strom back on the nonprofit beat again, but the story she tells about foundations investing in for profits is disturbing in an odd way. It touts the investments of foundations such as the Kellogg Foundation in for-profit entities consistent with, non, with the foundation's philanthropic mission, which is what we know as mission-related investments. Advocates have long supported foundations using their assets to invest in corporations that can generate reasonable market returns and simultaneously contribute to philanthropic purposes, the model being the F.B. Heron Foundation's program for mission-related investments. But some people have drunk the tea, as, as Rick says, that the market is a cure-all, and if it isn't totally working, it's because we haven't invested enough in strengthening and fixing market mechanisms. So Strom quotes Anthony Bug Levin, a former Rockefeller official now leading the nonprofit finance fund, who says the actual distinction between the two sectors, for-profit and nonprofit, is starting to collapse. The distinction may be collapsing because nonprofits have been so reticent to take on market-cheering social enterprise crowd, which has regulated, uh, relegated the nonprofit sector to a category of institutions that aren't business-like enough, sort of a bunch of organizations that don't measure up to the capabilities and performance of for-profit entities. So I'm not going to read the entire article here, but this notion of not understanding the central nature of nonprofit organizations, why they should exist, um, is one that uh, is being brought up here in this article, and I think that it is important uh, that you, as uh, members of our sector, um, become aware of this discussion. Uh, certainly, there has been pressure for nonprofit organizations to, quote-unquote, act more like or run more like a business, uh, but I view this as an even stronger 
um, uh, fight against um, what makes nonprofit organizations unique uh, in that it's actually suggesting that if they, they aren't investment worthy, uh, then perhaps uh, the nonprofit sector should collapse. I don't subscribe to that. I think nonprofit organizations are an important part of our social uh, network here in uh, in the United States and around the world, and the work that is done is often not profitable because of the nature of the fact that we are often uh, working with topics that are not necessarily investment worthy, but nevertheless are an important part of the fabric of this country. I'm going to ask our, our guest today to uh, weigh in on what she believes and what she thinks about that, uh, but I'm going to continue here on page one. So you can, you can sense that I feel very strongly about this. Um, because I, I think that it is incumbent upon those of us who are in the nonprofit sector to understand the nonprofit sector, to fight for what is unique about the American nonprofit sector, and not have it drained away by those who do not understand what a nonprofit sector actually means to the fabric of this country. So I'm going to step off from my uh, my soapbox here and tell you uh, what remains in page one news today, uh, and that is. The uh, Charities Aid Foundation, headquartered in the U.K., uh, of which the Charities Aid Foundation of America is affiliated with, and we um, are, uh, and I am the CEO of Charities Aid Foundation of America, each year uh, is the global organization that issues the World Giving Index. It's the only organization or the only report of this sort um, that uh, states uh, the details of global public giving. This, uh, so on Friday of this week, uh, the CAF America radio network uh, will be hosting a show on the 2013 World Giving Index. Uh, you'll be able to learn about this important measure of global giving and how North America is ranked versus the remainder of the world in some very key categories. So this is an important annual um, description and accounting of world giving, the only sort, one of its sort, and here in the United States that will be released through the Charities Aid Foundation of America, CAFAmerica.org, and uh, we will have uh, a radio show on the CAF America Radio Network. You can sign up for that, get a reminder for that, or just mark it on your calendar by going to the radio links for this show at tedhart.com and getting all of the information. That's what we have on page one news today. I think we have fixed all of our technical issues, which means it's now opportunity for us to head right on over to page two. You know, it's often said that there are people who need no introduction, and Kay Sprinkle Grace, in my estimation, is one of those such people. But on the off chance that you do not know how wonderful Kay Sprinkle Grace is, you will know that after this show. She is a perennial favorite here on the Nonprofit Coach, so much so that uh, she is booked well in advance to always be the uh, guest on our holiday show. This is our final show for 2012. Uh, we will be back after the holiday hiatus in February of 2013 with a full schedule for the nonprofit coach. Kay Sprinkle Grace, CFRE, is a San Francisco-based organizational consultant providing workshops and consultation to local, regional, national, and international organizations in strategic development planning, case and board development, staff development, and other issues related to leadership of the fundraising process. She's author of six books, 
including beyond fundraising, new strategies for nonprofit innovation and investment, and high-impact philanthropy. Well-known around the world, uh, often sought after uh, to be the highlight of any conference. But today, Kay Sprinkle Grace is here as my guest on The Nonprofit Coach. Welcome back, Kay Sprinkle Grace. Thank you, Ted Hart. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, always a uh, pleasure. You are always highly rated as one of the top shows on the Nonprofit Coach, and our audiences continue uh, to grow. Some of the uh, shows this year have uh, gone way over uh, 8,000 uh, listeners on uh, on a show, uh, so we're, we're quite pleased with that. And, I, and I've always felt that you were part of uh, uh, the signal to, that this show is worth people's time. Um, why, why do you think your time on the, a show like this matters? Because I can reach a really large audience, and I have continued to explore and dissect and analyze our sector, and I make new discoveries every day uh, that I love to share with people, which is why I really appreciate this opportunity, Ted. Well, you always uh, are are uh, wonderful on the show and the conversations uh, that we have. You're so thoughtful and insightful. Um, I I think that comes from not only years of experience, but just the sort of insightful kind of person that you are. Um, So we've got a lot to discuss today, and you always bring us uh, a lot of thought-provoking topics. Um, But you were listening, I think, to page one today. Yes. Um, And I, I don't often do this on this show, but I did step up on my soapbox. Uh, today um, and uh, shared with uh, the audience uh, an article that uh, was written by Rick Cohen uh, regarding. I, I, I read the article um, and I have some thoughts on it myself. I, I'd like to know your your thoughts on that because I, as, as uh, my audience could tell, I was a, I'm a bit passionate about the nonprofit <laughs> sector and having people understand um, that there seems to be and 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 a concern that I have is is how deep seated um, this. Uh, lack of understanding of the distinction is within our own foundation community. Well, I might take a little bit different um, stand on this. Um, Sharing your passion for the nonprofit sector, um, but feeling that the nonprofit sector had better hear this wake-up call. Okay. And, in fact, recently I've been speaking across the country about the wake-up call. And several things really struck me, and I have been drawing on a quote from Jean Case, head of the Case Foundation, who was the chair of the White House Conference on Philanthropy in September of this last year. And um, what she said was, people with unbelievable track records of investing are sitting on the sidelines of impact investments. And I think they're waiting for something we're not doing. And the clue, I think, was um, pretty much at not only the case-chaired conference, but also at the Forbes 400. And, Ted, I think the word is partnerships. And let me just explore this a minute. Um, There was another wake-up call, and you may have seen it because you're an absolutely devoted reader as well. But Carlos Slim Elu, the world's richest man, said at the Forbes 400 conference in September, he said, we have seen thousands of people working in nonprofits, and the problems and poverty are bigger. They have not solved anything. 
Well, I completely disagree. But what it says to me is that we're not measuring the right thing relative to what it is that people are looking at for investing. And then just one more um, little quotation that I, I ran across. And again, Gene Case, a lot of conversation was about, this is at the White House conference, a lot of conversation was about catalyzing innovation at this critical moment in time when needs so outweigh what any of us individually can solve. How can philanthropy work with government and other partners to take risks, to identify solutions, to catalyze change, to pilot innovative ideas? And in a parallel universe, almost simultaneously, at the Forbes 400 conference, they assessed where those wealthy philanthropists are partnering. 40% are partnering with businesses, 28% partner with other nonprofits, 22% partner with government agencies, and 7% partner with other private funders. And since Mr. and Mrs. Gates and Mr. Buffett were at that conference, we can assume that they were in that 7% since they have chosen to partner. Carlos Slim has turned his foundation, which was a grant-making foundation, he has turned it into an operating foundation, just like the Gates model. He's going to get out there and do it himself. So where I come down on this, Ted, is that it is a wake-up call for us. We need to look at our governance practices. We need to look at the way we measure ourselves. We need to look at what kind of big idea are we putting out there that people are getting excited about. Because the impact investors are sitting on the sidelines. There is a lot of money right now, and it is not flowing. I mean, you only have to look at the fact that the largest growing segment of philanthropy has been donor-advised funds but a lot of that money just stays there because we're not offering the the measurements, the mechanisms, everything that they want um, in such a way that they partner with us. They are looking for these big funders are saying, well, gee, maybe um, you know some of these for-profits could do it better. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not about who does it. It's about getting the job done. Well, I, I th thank you, first of all, for, for sort of bringing me in off from the ledge, uh, because it seems that perhaps I read the article intent wrong, that I, I sort of read it from the perspective that there may have been a lack of understanding for the need for a nonprofit sector, that, it, that, that in fact, whether, whether uh, you know, for-profits uh, uh, took on those things that they could make money, and those things that you can't make money on, well, maybe they shouldn't be done. That doesn't oh, sound really like what you're saying. It's not a matter of whether or not these things should be done or not. Yeah. yeah. So help me understand that a little bit more. I, I didn't read it that way at all. Okay. I read it, and maybe it's because I have this frame that I've been really operating in with working with this Forbes 400 data and with the Case Conference, the uh, Philanthropy Conference uh, chaired by Gene Case, working with those proceedings, is that I see this, I see that this person is being a provocateur, and I think it's a healthy provocation because I do think that we 
it's the canary in the mine shaft, Ted. Okay. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, now that you put it in that context, I, I, I would tend to share uh, your view um, that nonprofits do need to improve. Oh. And does this it, and does this come back to an issue that you and I have addressed before? Uh, in that, in the current state of you know very tight money, um, the need, not just the desire, but the need to be more impactful. Um, how do we deal with the fact that there's just too many nonprofits? Well, I think that forging more partnerships is the beginning, is the step, and. One of the things that I'm very concerned about is that I just think our nonprofits get in their own way. I think that it's it's kind of like Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. Oh, let's let's go create a party. Let's go do this. You know, let's right. go start a nonprofit. And you know what? It's not always the answer. Sometimes right. it is. And I have to say that I discouraged friends of mine from starting their own nonprofit, which deals with a medical situation. And they went ahead and did it anyway because they are very smart people. They have had breakthroughs that no other research organization working on this disease has had because, frankly, they are running it like a business. And they are working with research benches all over the world that are working in this area. They fund the bench. There's no, like, it is a nonprofit so people can give to it and have a tax deduction but it is operating like a very accountable business. And we've heard this for decades. You've got to operate more like businesses. I think, now here's where I'll say, I do think that the nonprofit sector has become much more accountable. I really do. I mean, I've been in this business long enough to remember when teaching the fundraising school 25, 30 years ago, on the section on budgeting, and I'd say, how many of you have a budget? And about a third of them would raise their hands. Yep. And that doesn't happen. No, I, think, I think we have come a, a long way, and particularly I think the Internet has helped nonprofits understand and become more accountable through transparency. Right. But what uh, we're but, not doing is saying, first of all, we're not getting our big idea out there. What is it? What are we really trying to do? And we're letting our obsession, and I use the word obsession advisedly, we are letting our obsession with our organization get in the way of saying, you know what, if we merged, collaborated, partnered, whatever you're willing to do with those other four organizations in our community that are doing the same thing, you know what, I think we could cut costs and right. I think we could have a higher percentage of homeless off the street within a year. Right. And, and that's the kind of impactful... Messaging that—that's the kind of impactful messaging that most nonprofits can't get to. I mean, you and I have discussed this on on prior shows. Is that a lot of organizations almost exist out of habit, um, and it's more about meeting a budget and paying for staff and keeping a building running than it is necessarily looking, as you said, do we just collapse all these organizations? Are we focused on actually removing people from the streets as opposed to, I have a budget to make? Yeah, and and the thing is, is that we consider success as getting back to zero, balancing the budget. Hello? Right. You're supposed to balance your budget. Right. But in the midst of this, you're supposed to focus on the next big idea, and do you have the partnership to make it happen? Um, and 
keeping your mission in focus. I mean, I, I often say in my speaking and writing, our problem is we become mesmerized by the mirror and we forget that our world is out there through the window. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you have often said that uh, people give to you because you meet needs, not because right. you have needs. have needs. And if you want to get people out there, you know, helping you raise money, you better get them thinking that way instead of that they're out there begging because they are involved with a needy organization. I mean, who wants to be involved with a needy organization? Right, or, or an organization. So relative to this combining, um, I tell a story in my book, um, The AAA Way to Fundraising Success, about an advocate who was on a board in Ohio, and it was a land trust. And he said, you know, he said, there are eight other land trusts. Why are we all raising money and doing, we all care about the land. And so over the course of about two years, those eight land trusts came together. There was one land trust that refused, so I guess seven of the other eight. So there were eight land trusts that merged, and there was one that said, oh, no way, no way. And I found out two years later, uh, telling this story, um, a woman said, you know, I'm familiar with this, and she said, the last one has joined in. So here you have now a mechanism that promotes and raises money to preserve, conserve the land in Ohio, whether it's river land or forest land or urban land, whatever, because it's all about the land. Right, which, which comes back to something that, again, you and I have discussed several times. It comes back to what is the mission of the organization? Is it to meet a budget? Is it to keep a staff? Um, or in this case, is it to preserve the land? And if, if that's the goal, if that's the ultimate goal, then you're very likely to make different decisions than if everything is about short-term gain or me meeting a budget or, or meeting a payroll. Yeah, and I mean, I do enough strategic planning, as you do, to know that when you suggest that they do zero-based budgeting in the year before they do their strategic plan, they look upon you as somebody who wants to destroy their organization. Yeah. Because zero-based says you imagine that nothing exists in your organization and all that exists is whatever it is you are dedicated to accomplishing for the community. How would you organize around it? And people are so protective of programs, even when they don't work. And I mean, on a, on a microcosmic basis, it's the same with development offices that keep events going that only you know fewer and fewer people are coming to. Well, you know, we've always done it. Really? I mean, <laughs> just because and where, where is the, something doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. Exactly, and where where is that that lack of of knowledge in terms of really questioning your existence and thinking about best practices to accomplish what you do, as opposed to we have a budget, we have to raise money, you have to help us raise money. Is it the board of directors, or is it a, a staff that has been there too long? Well, I think a lot of the the. Um, I think it's a shared responsibility, um, and it's not necessarily staffing there too long. I mean, I had a colleague who was here at the San Francisco Symphony for 18 years, and I've never known a better, you know, director of development. Uh, he was constantly reinventing himself. So 
for me, it is the process of renewal. I'm a, I was a great student of, John, of the late John Gardner's, and he wrote the book called Renewal. Bob Waterman then later wrote a book called The Renewal Factor, which was how you apply this kind of attitude in corporations. But I think that if people are willing to renew themselves and to stay current, that in fact they realize that these practices are not at all productive. And I think the most, <laughs> the biggest death knell I hear in board meetings is when someone says, oh, I just got this great idea. And they say the idea, and then someone on the board says, oh, or staff says, oh, you know, we tried that once and it didn't work. And you find out that they tried it once 25 years before. Well, of course it didn't work, you know, because that was then and this is now. Right. So yeah, I think that, doesn't I think stand that we forever. have responsibility as organizations to constantly reset, to reset. And that's why I believe in like a mandatory orientation for all board members every year. If nothing significant enough has happened over the previous year to not have a half-day plunge for board members and staff together to be renewed, refreshed, reset the clock, and say, okay, what do we see coming down the road as we look through the windows? How can we be ready for it? Well, and, and, and one of the, the, the things that I often recommend to boards of directors is that they just take as an annual activity to actually vote and reapprove the mission statement of the organization. Yeah. And um, that depends if the mission statement is really a mission statement. Right. See, I, think, I think that you and I, you and I, I think, have a slightly different you know, way of expressing mission statements, but I think they're closer than most people's. I learned at Hank Grasso's knee that mission statements express why you do what you do. They are not what you do entirely. They're not just, you know, to, you know, remove poverty in our time. In fact, that's really more of a vision statement. Because right. the vision is and the vision isn't about the organization. I get so tired of seeing these vision statements. Uh, we're gonna be the best community hospital in the greater whatever area. And I say, that's a fine vision for you. I said, but for a donor, it's not going to turn them on. Right. The right. donor wants to see our vision is that everyone in our community will be served by adequate, you know, compassionate health care. Mm -hmm. That's the vision that they want. And then, of course, you can say, this is our progress towards the vision. This is what we're doing. We are now reaching this amount of the population. And as for the mission, um, you know, you want it to be something that will really just kind of catch your breath and remind you of why you are there. And, and in doing that, um, and I, th I think there are a variety of different ways to, to look at mission statements, but would, would you agree that, that a mission statement, the reason that you exist, um, should also uh, be aspirational. Well, I do, and I mean, uh, I, you're you're familiar with you know my favorite mission statement, which is the one that uh, a student at the fundraising school, Karen Angel, brought in probably 25 years ago, and uh, the one she brought in wasn't my favorite. The one she wrote in class was my favorite because the one she brought in, she was with a medical organization that dealt with hands. 
And um, the mission statement she brought in was something like, you know, the mission of Vector Health Programs is to provide for people who have, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And I said, why? And she said, what do you mean, why? And I said, why? Why do you do what you do? And she said, well, because people need their hands. And I said, why? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I, she said, well, because you use your hands. And I said, write me a mission statement that if I'd never had anything worse than a hangnail, I would read it and say, oh, I never thought of that. This is so critically important to our lives. And what she wrote in class was the following. Next to the human face, hands are our most expressive feature. We talk with them. We work with them. We play with them. We comfort and love with them. An injury to the hand affects people professionally and personally. At Vector Health Programs, we give people back the use of their hands. Yeah, I love that. That's that's terrific. And of that's course, he, they used it for about ten years, and then she retired. A new executive director came in, and he said, "Oh, that's not a mission statement." <laughs> <laughs> and then it was back to the mission of Vector Health Programs is, you know, blah blah blah. Well, I think so it's, a, I it think is it's a, an unfortunate thing that we, um, you know, that we cannot seem to keep that mission in focus, and and I think that you know, I mean, we. We want, you and I want to really buoy the the listeners today. It's the holiday season. We talk about gift giving. And I think that, you know, as we, we said in the promotion, you know, I mean, the, the biggest gift that we can give people, the listeners today, is a board that's going to know just really greater success. And we've already talked about the things that will help and that's the mission focus. It is the openness to partnering. It is understanding that <clears throat> people give to you <clears throat> excuse me, because you meet needs, not because you have needs. Right. We need to clarify the reason for people that we're asking them to participate in raising money. I'm going to hold you right there. We're going to take a quick uh, station break. Sure. When we uh, when we uh, we come uh, back, I'm going to ask you specifically because this is, this is uh, uh, for all of the uh, listeners today and, and wanting to understand how will they be able to succeed in 2013. You're saying it's not about money. If it's not about money, what is it about? And we will be right back uh, with Kay Sprinkle Grace right after the break. <laughs> Here on the break, I just want to remind you of our schedule. This is the last show of 2012. Uh, we will then be going on our annual holiday hiatus, uh, coming back from the hiatus on February 12th. Uh, February 12th will begin our long, uh, early 2013 schedule that will take us on to the summer hiatus. So uh, make sure that you have uh, signed up for our email updates. Uh, you can do that at tedhart.com. Just click on newsletter, sign up for the newsletter updates, or follow us on Twitter uh, at Ted Hart to make sure that you get all the announcements 
uh, as the show will come back on Tuesday, 12 noon Eastern on February 12th. Uh, that is our update. We've got uh, one little announcement of uh, some services available to you uh, from Google, and I want to introduce you to a way for you to coordinate everything and everyone, and then we'll head back to the show with Kay Sprinkle Grace. When you have a great idea and need to work with others to bring it to life, how do you do it? Sometimes it's tough because the people you work with are in different places, with different schedules, using different devices. Google Apps lets you bring ideas to life with others. Here's how. Start with email that offers more. Gmail does more than send and receive emails. It connects people and lets you chat instantly while viewing a snapshot of your team's relevant activities and access to everything they shared with you. With Google Docs, there's only one version for everyone to work on. Share easily with the right people without email attachments or compatibility hassles. And work together on the same docs at the same time in a way that simply makes sense. Edit and interact easily with integrated social commenting. Google Calendar makes it easy to share schedules and find times to meet and schedule or update meetings with a few clicks. Everyone can't be in the same place at the same time, but Google Apps lets you work together from any place. With multi-way video chat, you'll feel like you're all in the same room. While screen sharing and integration with Google Docs lets you work with more people from anywhere, on any device, even on your mobile phone or tablet. Work with any team at any time from any place on any device. Google Apps. Work in the future, today. To learn more, go to google.com slash apps. And of course, here on the uh, Nonprofit Coach, we recommend that uh, nonprofit organizations go to google.com forward slash nonprofits to learn about all the services that are available free of charge from Google to help your nonprofit, large or small, uh, succeed. And so we're heading right back over to our page two expert, Kay Sprinkle Grace. Okay, if it's not about the money, how do we succeed in 2013? Don't I need money? <laughs> you do need money, Ted, absolutely. But what I've found is that when you approach it from the standpoint that fundraising really isn't about money, it's about relationships. And when board members in particular, who may be a little reticent to go out and ask for money, if they are encouraged and instructed in how to not only identify, build, nurture, but also keep the organization informed about relationships. What I've found is that the most enduring, sustainable organizations, we look at our universities with their alumni, we look at our hospitals with their grateful patients. They're the ones that are bringing in big gifts. They're the ones 
that seem to thrive even in times of, of uh, financial difficulty. Why is it? It's because they have regular communications, they build the relationships, they focus on the relationship, and it's not just like this once a year, oh, my God, you know, you better go through and, you know, clean up the list because we got to get out that mailing again. What we need to do is help our board members and staff, I might add, understand that this is a transformation, not a transaction. And the transformation is, I use kind of the analogy that the, the transaction is uh, the model of the bell curve is the best one because you have the solicitation of the apogee. You chug, chug, chug up to the solicitation. You ask for the money. The first stop on the way back down the bell curve is, thank God, it's over. And then you, you know, you acknowledge and you may do a little stewardship, but probably not. And then you put them into the donor database. Instead of getting them into a relationship, which is better depicted by the infinity model, uh, the infinity loop. And what I always say to my, um, to my seminars is that, you know, with a little imagination, you can remember that the bell curve is like a caterpillar. And at the infinity loop, if you put a vertical line between the two ovals, is in fact a little reminiscent of a butterfly. And it reminds us that what feels to the caterpillar like the end, to the butterfly is just the beginning. So we put all that effort into getting the gift. And we think that's the point of it. Yeah, so that's, that's the end, and then, then it's moving on to the next gift. Off our donors because... I've just sent you part of myself. I have just said of all the philanthropic, all the philanthropic organizations vying for my attention and my money, I choose you. And you're saying, oh, well, I thought it would be more. You don't tell me that, but you're looking at it. And then you say, oh, well, so-and-so. And then I become a $100 donor. I become a $250 donor. And that's how I'm categorized. Yeah, it, it, it's the magic of who you are and what you want to accomplish. In, in one of your presentations, there's a there's a terrific cartoon that you that you use um, where two women are sitting at a table, um, and one woman looks at the other and she says, "Is this my luncheon to solicit you for the university, or is this your luncheon for me to solicit you for the orchestra?" Exactly. Um, in that you're, it's really just it's money you're going to give it somewhere. So it's sort of going through the the mechanism as opposed to, as as you point out, it's much more about the relationship than the it mechanics of how you get there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think if if we can, if in 2013, I, I want to circle back to the article that we discussed at the beginning because I think in 2013 we're going to be seeing a lot of evaluation of the sector. And I don't mean kind of the metric harsh measures like they're doing in some countries, as you well know. Um, but I'm talking about kind of the evaluation of our donors. And our donors are going to vote with their checkbooks. They're going to either harbor the money, keep it for themselves, or they're going to give it to their donor-advised funds. I mean, Fidelity is the largest growing nonprofit in the United States. I mean, go figure, right? Biggest assets, and that money is just sitting there. So they're still giving, I mean, there's still about a 17% outflow 
of funds every year from the proportion of money that's, that's in the donor-advised funds. But the point is that boards in the very beginning of the year should look at a couple of key things. First is, what's really going on outside the windows of our organization? What are we seeing? What are the trends? And if you're dealing with hunger or homelessness, or if you're dealing with kids or education or the arts, whatever you're dealing with, there's something new going on out there, and you need to get in touch with it. The second thing is dust off that mission and that vision. Make sure that they're inspiring. Make sure that, in fact, you have a mission moment at your board meetings. And I don't mean a report by a program director. I mean that parent that comes in and says, you know what, if it weren't for you and your intervention with my daughter, I don't think she could be leading the kind of normal life that she is leading. And I just want to say thank you to this board for making it possible for the programs in this organization. Well, so are you really talking about impact? Are Are you really talking about measuring for impact? I'm talking, of course I'm talking about measuring for impact. I mean, you know, what are, what are the reasons, you know, that people give? Well, you know, I mean, as long ago as um, the, uh, you know, when, when the late Alan Wendroff and I wrote um, our book together called High Impact Philanthropy, I mean, we interviewed people who had just made their first ever six, seven, and in one case, eight-figure gift. And it was stunning. When I analyzed the questionnaires, we, we gave them a very brief questionnaire as part of the book, and they agreed to it. And they were looking for five things. They were looking for issues, for impact, for investment, for involvement, and for innovation. How's that for seeing the future 10 years ago? Right, exactly. I mean, that that's really where the sector is uh, right now. So for all of our listeners today, um, focusing in on uh, your terrific work um, in the, with the, for the AAA uh, success, what are the three A's? The three A's, and that's where I think if we, if we can give our boards the opportunity to determine what it is that motivates them relative to resource development, the first thing they need to understand is that philanthropy development and fundraising are part of a very integrated package. Philanthropy is the biggest thing, which is all voluntary action for the public good. Uh, The late Robert Payton phrased that, and I think it's accurate. Development, which is how we uncover those relationships, and fundraising, which is how we give people opportunities to act on their values. And the point being is that not everyone, Ted, I'll bet you found it true, too. Not everybody likes to ask for money. Have you found that true? Uh, No. Well, on boards, I find that when I say in here, who loves to ask for money, I may get one hand up. If I get two, probably one of them is the development director. (laughs) Because they have to. Because they have to. But the point of AAA, which is this book that I did a couple of years ago called The AAA Way to Fundraising Success, available through WhitPress, is that we need to meet our board members where they are. And you know where they are? They are in a passionate state about the mission when they come on the board, or they wouldn't come on the board. But what we do is we give them assignments they're never going to do. 
because they don't know how, they feel uncomfortable, and so I long ago realized that I could live to be 100 and never ever find a board where everybody liked to ask. So I came up with this program called the AAA. AAA stands for Ambassador, Advocate, and Asker. Ambassadors make friends. Everybody on the board has to be an ambassador. And frankly, if people are unwilling to be an ambassador, then they shouldn't be on the board. And some people will also be advocates, which is people who make the case with foundations, uh, with donors, in, in board member recruitment, and then the people who are willing to ask. And I have implemented this in hundreds of organizations, and it has had a very dynamic effect because it's based on a very simple principle of motivation, and that is that all people are motivated, but we just have to find out what motivates them. What, how it works is that there is a survey that people create based on this information and I, a template that I provide, but people choose what they want to do. And they fill out the survey. They say, oh, sure, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. And because it's been their choice to do it, they do it. And it, I don't really believe in silver bullets, and I don't think that things, you know, always there's a simple solution. This is the closest that I have ever found to a process that allows board members to be engaged in resource development in a way that is motivating and what the most startling unintended consequence of the program has been is that when people work effectively as ambassadors, maybe some also as advocates, they then feel much better about asking. And they'll say, well, you know, I could go on that call. Sure. I, you know, I really know the person. I won't do the asking, but I'll go with you on the call. And, and so th there's, there's an element of partnership. There's not an element of really? it's your job. Go do it. It's that this is a, this is a team sport. That's right. And it's funny you should say that because in one of the Stanford campaigns where I was a volunteer leader, we had a T-shirt that said fundraising is a team sport. <laughs> well, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, listen, we're running short on time, sure. as we always do, because I enjoy the, the chat. Very quickly, uh, what do you think is going to happen with the uh, charitable deduction and the fiscal cliff uh, deal? I think that um, the charitable deduction will stay because I think that we are going to see taxes on higher incomes, and I think that there will be, I hope, some reason that if you also deny the charitable deduction, then you're really going to cripple philanthropy. I, I think that case has effectively been made. The question that I have in my mind is, uh, do you think that there will be a limit to the itemized deductions. I, I think the charitable deductions. I, I really don't. I mean, I may okay. be optimist, but I really don't. I think that they're they're really playing with a whole sector there. And I'd like to think that people like Gene Case and others who are at this conference, you know, really do have uh, an influence. And I think that that is not in the best interests of um, of the country, given the fact, and it circles right back to the article that you did on page one, is that it circles right back. If you really want to see the nonprofit sector begin to wither, 
And this is a way to do it. So the nonprofit sector has the strength of our corporate sector without the burdensome bureaucracy of our government, that it is this sturdy third leg on the stool, then in fact it will lean more and more than to the for-profit. So I think what we need yeah. to do Kate, we're is, going to run out of time here. I want to make sure that you get a chance to say happy holidays and tell my listeners how they can reach you. Okay, well, happy holidays. You can reach me at Grace at AOL.com. My website is www.kgrace.org. And I wish you happy holidays. And I have three words I want you to remember. Listen, risk, and dream. Listen, risk, and dreams. And that's Kay Sprinkle Grace, again, doing a wonderful job pointing us to the new year. Kay, I, I hope it won't take an entire year before we get you back, but we do know that you will be our holiday guest uh, a year from now in 2013. You have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you for being our wonderful guest. That is our show. We will be back after the holiday hiatus on February 12th. Take care, everyone. It's a million chance. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.